The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we will be discussing all things related to guns, shooting, hunting, and the firearms industry. I'm joined today by my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nadler, owner of opera and operator of Firearms Concierge and BestDronage.com. Hey, good morning, and thank you for that, Kelly. And uh, I'm going to... Uh, do something a little bit different. Our first guest today is Sherry Legate from FMG Publications. Um, she's got a YouTube channel called FMG Pubs. And usually when we have a guest, I kind of go out to their area and uh, try to figure out what it is exactly they do and how we can add to the show. Well, I went out to her YouTube channel and about three or four videos down, I saw a two and a half minute video she did with a gentleman named Matt Rogers of DAC Technologies or DAC Technologies about an amazing device called targetize and basically what this uh piece of hardware does is it it fits onto the bottom of your handgun so if you have a rail it's just a picatinny device that goes right on the bottom it's bluetooth enabled so that it can communicate with your ios or with your android device and it helps you to get a better shot break each time you you press a trigger so the user interface tells you where you aimed before you broke the trigger and where you actually ended up and then it gives you diagnostic tools and uh um I'm trying to think of the word when you go to a doctor and you say, what's a prognosis? And it gives you a prognosis as well. It tells you, oh, you're anticipating recoil. You're using too little trigger finger. You're spanking the trigger. You're breaking your wrist down. You're shooting from your shoulder. Um, you can look at each individual shot or a whole group, and it gives you illustrative advice uh, and a good explanation on how to actually fix your shot. So this was such a perfect fit for what I do at Firearms Concierge, where I start all my students out with an eight and a half, ten piece of paper that I'm actually showing both of you right here that has 30 squares with circles in it. And from five feet away, I challenge the student to put 30 rounds on that piece of paper. And invariably, even the best shooter gets about 50%. So if they had this device, I'm sure that that would help me help them uh, do a lot better at it. So I guess what I'm what I wanted to say is that this is one of the most interesting guests we have because it really made a difference for me that I actually went out and bought this uh, from DAC Technologies, fitted it on my gun, and I can't wait to get out to the range later today and try it out. So thank you, Sherry, and welcome. Well, thank you for having me. And anytime, once you get out there and start playing with that, it's going to become addictive. And that's the, the only downfall of that product is that it's addictive. You just want to keep doing it. There's a lot of 
products out there and a lot of coaches out there that will actually say, this is what you're doing wrong. You've done this wrong. You've done this wrong. Well, this tells you, well, yeah, this you've done this wrong, but this is how you fix it. And that's the biggest difference is that they tell you how you fix it. Well, I want one. And I will tell you what, anytime I go handgun shoot and I'll shoot five or six shots in a row. Uh, I'll feel real good about everything, and then there'll be a shot that's about two or three inches out of the group, uh, and usually up and to the left, and I want to know why the hell I'm doing that. So I think this would help me in understanding what I'm doing that creates that one flyer. Kelly, Scottsdale Gun Club, anytime next week, you and me, man, mano y mano. I've been there with you. We have to remember. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says, oh, but but I shoot fast. <laughs> and uh, I've been around competitive shooting all my life. And especially uh, we used to uh, work closely with a guy named uh, Peter Hogue, who was a, a biathlete. And, and the, the saying in biathlon is, is that you can't miss fast enough to win because they give you a penalty lap. You have to s- s- ski around a, a lap for every time you miss a shot and so you can't really miss fast enough to win so so I would rather put the bullets where they belong <laughs> as opposed to what Jerry Mikulik says where he says there's nothing worse than a slow miss <laughs> I, love the, I love the philosophies here <laughs> totally different two two opposite sides boy I, and I've seen Jerry shoot and uh, he competes in a sportsman team challenge and uh, you know in the pistol section of it he's just about as good as there is really amazing he's amazing he's a six time world record holder and he holds the title of being the fastest revolver shooter in the world and I just filmed him back in January at media day at the range he broke another world record man's amazing amazing. and he's not a young guy well well, yes he is he's about our age (laughs) i love the way he speed loads did you ever watch how he he literally throws the bullets from probably an inch away from the chamber it's unbelievable how much practice do you think he had to do Uh, in order to master that probably a couple hours a week Well, I was talking to Rob Latham one day and and said, you know, Rob, why are you so good? And he said, because when everybody else was out playing baseball or playing football, I was working on a paper route to save money so I could reload. He said, it's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And so uh, the people who perform at that level, they don't let anything else get in their way. And you're that kind of person, I know. Um, let's talk a little bit about your history, where you grew up, how you got involved in shooting. Um, as I said uh, on my Facebook page, one of the most recognizable women shooters in shotgunning. So let's start with how you got there. Oh, aren't you sweet? Thank you. Um, well, I'm a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to how I entered into the shooting sports. I didn't grow up shooting. Nobody in my family shot. My father didn't shot. My brother didn't shot. We didn't even own guns. What happened to me was I was sitting at home on a Saturday afternoon. It was 1984. Um, um, and um, actually, wait, maybe it was 85. And Matt Dreich was doing a exhibition shooting. Matt Dreich was the gold medalist from the 1984 Olympics. And he was on a unicycle and he was shooting skeet, shooting with Robert Stack. And it was really a very, very cool television show. And I found that fascinating. And I thought, well, I think I want to try that. So I looked up in a phone book and called a local shooting range and said, hi, can I get some lessons? And I walked out there the following Saturday and picked up my very first shotgun. 
And I imagine that as most in my experience with shotgun has some success right away. You know, I'm very lucky. I did. I, I, once they taught me how to do it, I shot my first 25 straight in about three or four months. Um, but I've always been athletic. I have great hand-eye coordination. I played basketball. I played baseball, volleyball. So I, I've always been an athlete. Yeah, and people don't think about shooting being an athletic sport, but it's like anything else, the, the hand-eye coordination, muscularity, physicality. It, it's, you, you need it all to be really good at, at your sport. Oh, I agree. And I think, Zev, you would know this as a coach. I mean, sometimes when, you, when somebody comes to you and says, oh, I want to learn how to shoot, and you see him take a couple shots, and you've been working with him, and deep down you're thinking, you know, you really need to take up bowling. Because sometimes they just, it's just not going to happen. And you know, you're right on the competition side. But we also have folks that just want to have it, you know, for everyday carrier for home defense. So uh, one of my most recent uh, uh, student group was a, a couple, a 72-year-old couple. Oh, that's great. And they were amazing. I mean, he didn't have the ability to reach out as far as I would like, but still, they worked with what they had, and, and now they carry. So. And, you know, that's important, and I think when you're coaching somebody, especially for self-defense, that they learn all of those fundamentals. And a good coach works with the strengths of the people that they have, not not the coach that says it's my way or no way. Right. You have to work with, the, with what these people have, and then that way they get to enjoy the sport. They get to enjoy the sport of shooting. Well, I know you, that you're humble enough that you're not going to talk about any of your accomplishments, but I'm going to because I think it's important for our listeners to know exactly where you come from so that they understand when you talk, they really should be listening. Uh, three-time national champion, two-time world champion, and is that in skeet? A skeet and double trap, Okay, both, both Olympic sports. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you were close to being on the Olympic team one year. Yeah, I was. I missed it by one target, and you'd rather miss it by 20 because you still see that one target every day for the rest of your life. Well, if you miss by 20 there, you, you figure, well, you know, I did my best. But if you miss by one, you always wonder what you could have done differently to get one more target. So, exactly. Yeah. So so you've been shooting. I, I want to tell this story now. I think it's an appropriate time in in the show to to share it Uh, i remember exactly the very first time we ever met and you know when you think back about it is it very often that you can recall the exact moment that you met somebody but that's the way it is with sherry and i my brother uh larry nelson who if you've been listening to my show you you heard him on our show and i went to I think it was either the first or the second Chevy Truck Challenge National Championships. It was a brand new sport. It was made for TV. Um, Chevy um, put a bunch of money into it, uh, and it attracted a lot of really good shooters. How my brother and Larry and I got invited, uh, we didn't actually get invited. You, you could Anybody could go, but, but how we felt like we belonged there is beyond me because we had never shot the game before. So we show up in Florida for this match and we were the very first ones to shoot the shotgun portion called the mixed bag. And it's really the easiest part of the the team. It's a three-man team and all three guys on the team shoot. You get 50 targets and you've got to break as many as you can. Each guy shoots at two consecutive targets and then they take turns. And what we didn't really concentrate on was that it was also a timed event like all of the other events in sportsman team challenge so 
we're trying to break as many targets as we can, and we ran out of time. <laughs> and we may be the only person in the history of Sportsman Team Challenge to run out of time on the mixed bag. Uh, and as we were walking away from the station, uh, heads down and shotguns under our arm, Sherry walked up to us, and I had never met her before this, had no idea who she was, but walked up to me, looked me right in the eye and said, you guys could really use my help. (laughs) (laughs) I did too. I remember it like it happened yesterday. It was so painful to watch. (laughs) Just So I thought, I need to help these guys. Well, let me say that that several years later, after many attempts, I actually won the B class national championships with Larry and, and another guy on our team. So, yeah, that was a painful start, but but we did get better. You got a lot better. You're a great shot now, and and it just was just. You had to be there to to see it, Zev. You really did. It was just painful to watch. They they were trying. That was what was painful. Is they they were trying so hard, and they were just not hitting anything it, or not loading fast enough. Everything. It was just a disaster. Well, I know uh, he's certainly uh, gotten better since then because I took a a drone video of of the last sportsman team challenge he was part of, and I saw him on the field. And when I looked at the at the videos I was producing it, I couldn't believe how quickly he was shooting, breaking open uh, the shotgun, letting him fly out or pulling them out, and then putting two back in and going back to work. So oh, it's learns, night and day difference yeah, now. I mean, yeah. the man's amazing now. Well, I will tell you, if you've never tried sportsman team challenge, you got a small bore pistol, a center fire pistol, a shotgun, and a, a twenty-two uh, uh, rimfire rifle then you really need to try out the game because it's it's the most fun shooting I can ever remember having because it's just a lot of fun. It's interesting that you bring that up because their 30th anniversary is happening this year in July in Grand Island, Nebraska is where they're going to hold it. You remember Doug Koenig. Yep, Doug Koenig. Doug Koenig is heading that up. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be there actually. I'm going to go. I'm going to go film it and I'm going to shoot it. So if you get a chance, you guys should come up. Well, there's two uh, times that I've witnessed what I thought was unbelievable shooting in uh, Sportsman Team Challenge. One of them was in uh, the uh, pistol section of it and Doug Koenig shooting the the small targets with the um, rimfire. And I think there's 25 targets. And I, I saw him not miss a shot knocked down all the targets and I think he did it in like 17 seconds it was and you get two minutes that's how fast it was that he did and then Mike Voigt on the heavy targets there are 12 heavy targets and one bonus target and uh, as he was shooting everyone goes oh because he took a shot and no targets fell down and everybody thought oh my he missed and so he goes ahead and finishes all the rest of the 12 targets fall down and he puts his gun down and step you know steps back to stop the timer because when you get into that level how fast you do it in in your station it gives the next guy in their station a chance to to have more time to shoot anyway what they didn't realize is Mike Voigt, and and I think it was uh, seven seconds had shot 
all 12 targets and the bonus target. So when everybody thought he missed, he had, instead of waiting till the end of his run to shoot the bonus like everybody else did, he shot it when it was the most convenient in his string because it happened to be on the left-hand side. And it, I think it was the fourth shot that he had taken. So when nobody saw a big target fall down, they automatically assumed he screwed up. But it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And when you get to watch those kinds of uh, shooters shoot, it's amazing what they can do. It's incredible. It's fun to watch. It's it's fascinating. You can't keep your eyes off of them. And Doug Koenig, Mike Voigt, all those guys, Jerry, it's more than entertaining. It's it's almost like just watching poetry in motion. I mean, these are shooting gods. They're great to watch. Well, like I said, it was made for TV. So it was made so that the that people could watch it and enjoy it. Uh, there's big stands behind the the line on each of the stations. And uh, the only ones that are a little more difficult to watch is because uh, just because of flying debris is, is the shotgun, especially on the, the incoming or the flurry where they're actually throwing 50 birds at you, at you from any one of seven different uh, targets. And, and you have to not only work with your partners because you can only load two shells at a time, but they throw them every second. So you've got to shoot your two, your partner's got to shoot the next two, the third man on the team's got to shoot his, and then you've got to be ready to shoot. And if you can, in between time, pick up a, a straggler. So it's a really teamwork-oriented um, game, but it's a lot of fun. You have to make sure that you you know what your co-worker or what your, your partner is doing, what the other shooters are doing, your timing with them, keeping an eye on their targets, keeping an eye on your targets, and making sure you load all at the same time. It's, it's, more, it's more difficult than people think. Well, you know, Sherry, your shooting prowess is certainly at least half of what you do, but the other half is, is something I'd like to talk about is, is the marketing you do uh, for folks who have great products and the shows you go to. And uh, I know you write an article in Guns Magazine. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I have a column in Guns Magazine called Game On, and it covers the competitive shooting sports. So I will travel to events to cover those just for that column. But what we also do, especially for the YouTube channel for FMG Publications, the shows that I produce for them, are I have a program called Quick Hit. And it is a program that's about two minutes long, minute and a half, two minutes. And I bring all the new products to our viewers and show them what's new, what's coming out, like Targetize and everything else, just to, to give them a very close look and a quick look at what's new and up, up and coming and what they can use. It's a lot of fun. I, I learn a lot. It's, it's great times. And how do you determine which of the products that you're going to preview? I want to make sure that they're relevant and that they're useful. And you make those choices. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. It, it's not sponsored. There's no advertising. So we're not beholden to anybody. It's me looking at that or my executive producer both looking at a product going, you know what? That's really cool. This is something our viewers would be interested in seeing. Cool. You know, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about extreme long range shooting. And, and that's, I bet, I guess everybody's has agreed with the consensus that that means over 1500 yards uh, so we're getting ready to perform at the king of the two mile shoot in Raton, New Mexico and the the goal of that is to hit a target at two miles but of course they they work up to it at different distances have you thought about covering that 
match. I mean, they're they're setting up a number of different matches around the country, specifically designed at extra long range or extreme long range shooting. But it's not really been covered much because it's brand new. When is that? That's uh, the twenty. 8th, 29th, and 30th of June in uh, at the Whittington Center in, in New Mexico. In Raton, yeah. No, I hadn't even heard about it, but I'll definitely, I get, if you could give me some information, I think that's very interesting because right now, long-range precision shooting is the hottest thing going right now. That's what everybody's doing. Um, I was actually invited up to the, the Quigley shoot, the one that's up in, what is that, Montana? So I was thinking about going to that, but this would be interesting. Well, you could also cover the 50 Cal Shooters Association Nationals, which uh, uh, follow that in Raton. So uh, you could kill two birds with one stone if you wanted to do that. But I know that the people that are involved, and we happen to be heavily involved because we've designed some products specifically made for guns with 38-inch barrels and weighs 50 pounds so that they can reach these distances that they're shooting at. Uh, But we want to be able to push that envelope, to be able to answer those questions that people have now and nobody's been able to answer yet about what it takes to shoot accurately at extreme long range. And you know, one of our guests that are going to be joining us in a, in a future show, and I hope I say his name correctly, is a Carl Pilant from Sierra Bullets. Uh, we've been talking back and forth on email, and he told me that one of the week, weeks that we wanted him, he wasn't going to be available because he was going to a 1,000-yard handgun match. Ooh. I said, really? D- did I hear that? Did I read that correctly? And I asked him, where's that going to be? And he just wrote back, it's a MOA cold turkey handgun match in Sundance, Wyoming. So we're talking 1,000 yards with a handgun. That's got to be interesting to see. Now, these are bolt-action handguns, so they're they're not revolvers or, or you know, automatics. So. And are they held with two hands or do they have forward grips? Yeah, they straps? have all kinds of setups. Okay, so, but mostly there? shot off a bench. Oh, okay. Do you know what caliber? Yeah, any any caliber. They, they shoot a lot of seven millimeter with them simply because the you know the the recoil is manageable, but the bullet can travel that far. Uh, you know, an XP one hundred had was actually chambered for some rifle uh, caliber, so it's not uncommon for them to have uh, you know big cases. Hmm. I like this idea. I, if you guys could send me this information, I want to cover that. Yeah, that I'll is up with really you cool. And maybe I can tag along as your drone guy. Now that I know you have a green screen studio. <laughs> and big cameras and everything. Ooh. <laughs> Good. Well, you've been in the industry for a long time. Um, 2001 person, uh, shooting industry person of the year. Uh, how did that come about? Oh, gee. Um, I She's blushing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really shocking that I won. I was grateful. I, I was so surprised, too. The main reason was... Uh, I spent, a, you know, my career in the shooting sports. I mean, I, I was a competitor, and, and it is. It's all consuming when you get to that level. So I spent a lot of time in the industry, and there was a time after when I started on the downside of my career, the retiring of, away from competition and getting more into the business end of it, that you want to give back. And the biggest thing that I saw in the shooting sports was the lack of introduction for women. It was very difficult for women to get in. I know what I had to go through. So I created some programs, one of them called A Day at the Range, which introduced more than, what, 30,000 women to the shooting sports. And the industry really liked that. (laughs) 
So I, I created that program. I created a few other retailer programs. I worked with a lot of dealers and manufacturers on how to reach women, designed a few guns for women. Um, so I basically just reaching out to the women's market and not teaching, but helping the industry understand how they could reach that women's market. Well, I know that you have probably more contacts in the shooting sports than anyone I know. There's been more than one time that I've reached out to you to help with a a fundraiser. Um, As it turns out, we worked on uh, an organization's fundraiser a couple of years ago um, for um, bringing out ovarian cancer awareness. And, um, you know, when you need something donated, something to, to fill the table with uh call sherry because she can do it (laughs) i have an employee named max herzog great guy um young man decided that he wanted to work with uh uh Christian youth program and he's running a camp and so he's going to have he needed some shotgun ammo and some small bore ammo and I said well you know Sherry's got contacts with the shotgun people I'll call her well come to find out Sherry gets eyes and ears and um shotgun ammo and small bore ammo everything he needed to put on this camp which is going on this weekend actually she was able to go out and get for him so that made his job much easier too so um my hat's off to max for uh, you know doing this undertaking the organization and i can't remember the name of it right now but it's a great you know youth christian organization and and thanks for max for putting on all the effort thanks for sherry for coming up with all the the goodies that they need I don't mind helping. If there's something that I can do to get people into the shooting sports, encourage them to be part of it, I will do whatever I can. You know, I want to talk a little bit about Shoot the Moon. Um, You know, when we first met, and every sportsman team challenge team that I sponsored had uh, a Shoot the Moon vest. And, you know, I think that was probably your first independent in business opportunity, right? Yes, yeah. yes, it was. So, t- tell everybody what that was, and I just want you, them to know what your background is and and how we came to know each other a little bit better. Well, when I started shooting, uh, there was nothing for women. There was hardly any women in the shooting sports, and I needed clothing. I mean, I may like to shoot, but I like to look nice while I'm doing it, and I couldn't find anything to wear. So, I didn't know how to sew, but I do know how to design. So, I designed a nice shooting vest, took it to a home sewer, and said, "Please make this." She did. I started wearing it out and about shooting. Other women saw it and said, hey, where'd you get that? And this little cottage industry was born. And then pretty soon a huge manufacturing business was born. And I wound up um, having this company for 17 years before I sold it, got a patent on the design. Um, My clients were Browning, Fiocchi, Orvis. I had some huge ones. And McMillan. I forgot, Kelly, that you knew me back then too. Boy, you know a lot about me. You know that? We've known each other for a long time. It's been a great relationship. And I really love having you involved in in the shooting sports because, as you said, you You've even had dinners with our company at the SHOT Show. That's how close we've been and how much I think of you and really appreciate everything that you do. Uh, Anything in particular that you want to end with? We've got about a minute left. The only thing that I would like to talk about is I was talking about when I went out and shot – I got into the desert and I shoot. Now, I pick up everything that I leave there. Well, 
folks, if you're listening, let's be careful with our shooter trash. That's our signature out there. Come on, pick up your brass, pick up your targets. I walked out to this one place and there was a shot up television and trash everywhere. That's a reflection on who we are as sportsmen. So let's pay attention to that, please. And we have to earn the right to recreate because if we make a mess, then BLM and all the other you know, government agencies will just shut it down. I've seen it because they want these areas, these public venues, to be used for all different types of recreation. I think we've both been involved with uh, an organization called Tread Lightly, who actually that is their entire message is that they want to make sure that all of this is available to any outdoors people, um, off-road um, bikes, um, ATVs and all that, but to make sure that we leave the place cleaner than we found it because there are a lot of people that are irresponsible and for those of us that are, we need to make up for those nimwits that um, don't really understand what it takes to make this stuff available for everybody. That's right. We're going to lose the opportunity. We're going to lose access unless we take care of ourselves and take care of the land. That is who we, that's who we are. We are outdoorsmen. Be proud of that. Well, Sherry, I really want to thank you for being on the show. It's been great. As always, the time seems really short, but I'm glad you were on today. Well, thank you for having me, and I'd love to come back. Just feel free. Great. Uh, I want to ask our listeners to stand by for a short uh, break while we go to a commercial. We'll be right back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. 
I want to thank everyone for sticking around. Thanks for uh, staying with us through the commercial break. Man, what a great guest Sherry was. She's just so much fun and uh, entertaining. Uh, she she really made the, the first segment really enjoyable. I know Zev uh, said uh, as soon as we went to commercial break, oh, that was the best segment we've ever done. Well, I think this next segment is going to be great, too. Um, Bob Harvey's a friend of mine. We've known each other for quite a while. He knew my father back in the day. Uh, former Marine, as it seems like we do a lot of former Marines on this show. So uh, just a, a quick introduction. Uh, good friend. Good guy. Bob, thanks for being on the show. Kelly, thanks a lot for having me. I'm always tickled when I can uh, get a chance to talk to you with our busy lives. Well, let's do uh, a little retracing. I want to hear uh, your history. I've heard, I know it, but I want my uh, listeners to to know about your involvement in the Marine Corps and, and how you got where you are today. So, give us just a brief his- history of how you got where you are. Well, I'm kind, you know I'm kind of a country boy. I grew up in West Virginia. Started shooting at a very young age. Uh, my grandfather was very talented at shooting a long rifle. Um, at 17, I wound up going in the Marine Corps, spent some time around the world, everything from um, Southeast Asia to um, secure, Marine Security Guard duty, Personal Protection Security Unit. And then my last four years, I got stationed at Quantico, Virginia. I started out as a rifle coach then moved to the pistol line and worked as a pistol coach up for about six months and then became a primary marksmanship instructor. Um, That's kind of where I met your dad and found out about uh, McMillan stocks. Uh, Got into a little bit of competitive shooting, uh, got out, uh, wound up opening up a school up in Maryland and then opened a school down here in Florida when when I came down. And that pretty much is how I got into um, both competitive shooting and teaching. So I know you uh, had a radio show for a while. Tell us about that. Uh, We had a radio show called the Bullseye Radio Talk Show that was regional. Um, It based on predominantly Second Amendment rights, and and I was thankful enough to have you come on uh, to talk a little bit about your situations. The kind of crazy thing is we're in a mainly liberal area that is anti-gun in this portion of Florida. Um, it was very interesting to have that show for a three-year period of time. So what did it teach you? <laughs> what did it teach me? It taught me a lot. Um, it taught me that people really were not in touch with either their constitutional rights um, nor self-defense, for that matter. You can't kill a deer with that. Why do you need it? That's what most uh, people exactly. think, right? <laughs> I, I missed that portion in the Second Amendment of somewhere along the line. Well, I'm glad to have you on because I want to talk about all of that stuff. Um, you you do a, a training school in uh, in Florida, right? Uh, yes, sir. We we own the oldest continual running firearms academy in the state we've been around since 1987 so what does the academy focus on (laughs) we don't really have a focus that's kind of um, unusual we teach military law enforcement and civilians and we have 42 different curriculum um, setups 
42 different classes that we teach. Uh, we teach all of the National Rifle Association courses, including the instructor courses for each and every one of those. I'm a uh, National Rifle Association training counselor. Um, we also teach long-range rifle, state hunter safety education, defensive pistol, rifle, shotgun, low-light shooting, and force-on-force. Well, you know, Bob, I was looking at some of the certifications you personally hold. I mean, in addition to being a counselor that gives those certifications to instructors, you hold so many different disciplines. I imagine that if you put the rockers on your sleeve, you'd probably have to have a 37-inch sleeve. So that's pretty cool looking at all your different uh, uh, disciplines that you teach. I also noticed that you're a court expert, firearms witness. Do you do a lot of that? And does it pertain mostly to, you know, the right to shoot? Uh, Do they ever ask questions such as what might have been in that person's mind? I mean, that whole idea of court and guns, like after you press a trigger, you know, what kind of bullet did you use? Was it a zombie bullet and therefore the prosecutor gets to say that you were a killer? Or like we have something going on here with uh, a police officer that was using his own AR-15 and on the inside of the uh, dust cover, uh, he had some... You saw that, right? Sure, so, so where do you focus? Do you focus more on you know ballistics work, and do you focus on mindset? Tell us a little bit about that. No, pretty much as far as an expert witness in the courts, they only will let you focus. Um, it's kind of amazing because as much training as I've had both through the government and civilian life, when it comes to talking about mindset or the physiology or psychology of a gunfight, they pretty much will not take you unless you were a professor of psychology or physiology. You know, I'm I think that's... a firearms-only expert. They bring me in just for that. And I think that kind of speaks to what we've been hearing lately. Um, if you've listened to any of the speeches by Comey when he was still the head of the FBI, he mentioned the word intent a lot. And I think that somewhere in the definition of most of these laws, they've inserted intent as a way to say, well, we really can't say what they're thinking, so we don't know what that is. But in in my humble opinion, that Wiping a server clean shows intent that you don't want to give up the the information that was subpoenaed. That's the intent. And so, uh, and I can understand why when you're testifying in court that they only want psychologists because they're the only true ones that are qualified to read somebody's mind based on their actions. And, and I would totally agree with that. Part of the problem with the Comey situation is, and, and, and listen, I try not to make this too overly political when I look at this. I try to look at it on a real common sense basis. I don't think, don't think that if I committed a crime, that they would look at me and say, well, did he know that he was committing a crime? And did he really have intent to commit that crime? I don't think I would get that benefit of the doubt. 
And, you know, Bob, when I'm uh, instructing folks, and I don't teach CCW classes exactly for that reason, because I don't want to be called in uh, as a witness as to why somebody might have done something or didn't. But when I do teach, I, I try to impart the following. If you, God forbid, ever have to draw your gun or shoot somebody, be verbal. Uh, don't let three different people from different uh, access points at the gas station decide what you did. Be verbal. Say, please, stop. You're scaring me. Try to take a step backward if it allows and you don't put yourself in danger and never, you know, do any follow-up shots or use profanity or anything like that because what you want the magistrate or the judge to hear at the end of the day was that you were scared out of your mind and you couldn't really do anything else and you had to take the shot and that's what you want the witnesses to say. Would you agree that that's a, a good advice? Absolutely. And I actually wrote an article about this um, earlier this morning that's probably going to, I'm going to have it published in Ammo Land or somewhere, and it, it was kind of strange because I, I've been teaching now for 42 years, and I rarely get a question that's new. You know, it's normally the same old question over and over again. One of my students asked me, what is the most important few points you would give a new person carrying a concealed weapon? Now, I can remember a time when... I'd give an off-the-cuff answer that would be related to training, learning the operation of your gun, your equipment, the fundamentals of shooting, time and distance, just a wide variety of different answers, and I would brush over it. Although all those things are important, the two most important skills when carrying a gun in self-defense are very basic. One is the willingness to survive the battle. That's the first thing. Sit still. The, the absolute, absolute willingness to deal with the violent encounter right then and there. And then the second thing is preparedness. You have to be prepared mentally. And the preparation comes a lot of different ways. It comes with you know instruction, practice, qualification, uh, buying good equipment. Uh, owning a reliable firearm, holsters, magazines, lights, and all the other things. But your head has to be prepared for it more than anything. And the aftermath today. One of my good friends uh, who was on my show recently, R Robbie Barkman, who's been a handgun instructor for a long time. I have never taken any of his classes, but my brother's taken a bunch of them. And my brother said, you would not imagine how difficult it is when you start putting things together. Everybody thinks they know how they're going to react in a certain situation, and they think they know what they're going to do, but you really don't. And so Robbie had a drill. He'd, he'd have you draw your handgun, shoot at the target, and um, everybody did pretty well. He said, okay, now I want you to draw your handgun, say stop, and shoot. And surprisingly, just by saying stop, the, the impact was affected by it. And then the third, the third uh, version is draw your weapon, say stop, take a step to the right, and then shoot. And I was just going to say that. 
he says, you can't imagine how much it affects your ability to shoot straight when you start adding those things together. And and what Zev said made me think of that. If you don't practice those things, you never know what's going to happen when you get into that situation. So if you don't practice saying, stop, please, I'm scared, and take a step back or to the side in order to show that you're you're trying to, to do everything you can to stay out of the problem, then when you try that under pressure, it's going to be a result that's probably less than than you'd desire. Um, it's amazing that you'd say that because we spend, in all of our defensive shooting classes, and I don't care what the discipline is, whether it's pistol, rifle, shotgun, low light, the first two hours are spent on mindset and physiology and psychology of a gunfight. During the courses, even in our basic courses, is where we introduce stress inoculation. That's what that is. And yes, gunfights are a mathematical equation. This is kind of crazy. This is a theory that I came up with. I've never heard it anywhere else. A gunfight is a mathematical equation. The problem is you don't know the digits that go into the equation until after the fight is over. The mathematical equation is time and distance. Time and distance. The more time you have, the more distance you can get in separation, the better chance you have of surviving. That's part of the stress inoculation drills that we beat into each one of our curriculum. I like that term inoculation as opposed to indoctrination. I mean, you're literally giving us a vaccine to help us survive. That's pretty cool terminology there. Um, Exactly. There's three ways that they can deal with that, believe it or not. Most people don't understand what an adrenaline dump is, so we put a forced stress on them to get that adrenaline to work. If you think of it as your system is a closed system, and the adrenaline when it dumps is is a drug which is basically what it is. There's several things that happen. You get fine motor skill deterioration. You get increased heart rate. You get either deeper or shallower breathing. You get tunnel vision. We teach how to deal with that under three different uh, scenarios to be able to take and bring. It has to deal with your heart rate. Uh, A typical heart rate in a fight where your optimal is in the 180 area, at 300 you go comatose. Your normal resting heart rate is somewhere between 90 and 110. Um, So we try to get your heart rate up to the optimal fighting speed, and then we try to teach you both through combat breathing, vocalization, and movement to be able to overcome that during the stress inoculation phase. And you know, Bob, what you just uh, spoke about, I, I learned a bit of that from Dave, uh, Colonel David Grossman. Uh, you probably Thank heard God. of him. Yeah, killology.com or on killing. Uh, the mindset is very, very cool. And everything you just talked about, uh, we learned under him. But God forbid any of us should ever have to draw our weapon and certainly have to use it, but it certainly is great to be prepared. But uh, the next topic I wanted to ask you about, though, is uh, near and dear to our hearts, is the extreme long range. And I notice here that you're actually going to be at the King of Two Mile competition at the end of June, and I uh, look forward to meeting you there. Tell us about how you got into that and, and what you expect to accomplish out there other than winning 
<laughs> I wouldn't go as far as to say that I plan on winning. Um, I am showing up. I am bringing a rifle that I built for it. Um, I've been teaching long-range precision shooting since 1978-ish. Uh, I've trained under some incredible people. It, it, it's a very difficult and very new sport here in Florida. Uh, and, you know, I'm a regional instructor. I don't travel around the country or around the world teaching. Um, I'm predominantly a Florida boy. Um, it's hard to find property down here, and the cost to shoot is very expensive. Uh, property down here runs in the $4,500 an acre for swampland. So to be able to put together a one-mile range, it's very difficult. Um, we've been doing it on hunting leases, and we have two new ranges that just opened down here not very long ago. Kelly actually uh, sponsored our first long-range shoot in South Florida last year, um, and he, I had the pleasure of having him come down and join me during that. Um, but it, it's, it's been difficult down here. Uh, I had to teach on private land for a long period of time. Uh, you have to keep the classes small because there's not a large facility. We don't have anything like Whittington Center down there. And you don't have uh, any Bureau of Land Management land? or No. Mm. No. Anything and, that's not owned by something in Florida is unownable land. It's exactly. all swamp. <laughs> it, it's kind of amazing um, you know, I had a hunting lease for 15 years, and we shot long range out there quite a bit. Um, but it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, you couldn't run a commercial enterprise on it is basically what the deal is. And, and that's the biggest problem you have down here. Hey, Bob, did you uh, listen to the first segment of our show by any chance? I think was- yes, I did. Uh, okay, good. So you, you heard about the target ties that we, uh, that we brought up, right? I'm sorry, what was it? The targetize, that was a, uh, a target, uh, actually it's a device that goes on the bottom of your handgun on the rail and it interfaces with your iPhone uh, or your Android device and it tells you where you were aiming before you broke the shot and where the shot went afterwards. But it not only shows that to you graphically, but it actually gives you hints and tips on, on you know whether you were bringing it up too high to your shoulder, whether you had too much trigger on it, whether you spanked the trigger, uh, all those different uh, attitudes that you might have done incorrectly. So I just thought I'd share that with you again because as an instructor, you might find this invaluable. And I, I got your email address. I'm actually going to send you the information on the company. Please do. Um, yeah. You know, I use bullseye camera systems now on rifles or for rifles, uh-huh. uh, and, and it's a very good tool, especially in instruction. Yeah, this company is called DAC, D-A-C. Um, the name of the uh, the product is Targetize. And D-A-C has been selling cleaning supplies into most of the retail chains for about 20-plus years. So they've been around, and this is just a great product. And I know Kelly's going to get one, and, and we're going to go mano y mano next week sometime. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he needs all of the training tools he can get to be able to outshoot me, that's yeah, for sure. I need all the mano I could get. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited to go out. I've never competed in an extreme long-range match, and and I'm interested. I I actually think I'll learn a lot. If I even, you know, if I'm there for the last day, I'm going to be a real happy camper. 
We've been talking for a number of months now in trying to promote and to develop an ELR program so that everybody is on the same page with what our goals are and what we're trying to accomplish. And that is, we want to be able to push the envelope. We want to learn what we need to know to be able to shoot at extreme long ranges. And the only way that we can do that is if we have an open mind and everybody that competes is willing to share what they're doing so there's no secrets. It's not like, oh, I've got this special formula and it's going to give me an advantage. Tell everybody what you're doing and they have the option to use the same load that you do or use the same bullet or, you know, form their brass the way that you do. But give them the chance to know what's going on so we find out what works and what doesn't work and and learn the things that we need to learn. And that's the coolest thing about, you know, my father once said, if you want to keep people from cheating in a, a, a shooting match, don't have any rules. Because if you set up any rules, they'll figure out how to circumvent the rules. That's for they'll sure. game it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think fact, that's I mean, kind of You can of see it in PRS. You can see it in IDPA. You can see it in every type of competitive shooting out there, except pretty much for bullseye. Um, you know, bullseye pistol shooting. But all of the other sports pretty much are gained. Um, once they learn a way to cut time when it's a timed event, um, everybody's looking to take and shade the time. They're not looking... It's not pinpoint accuracy. And, and because extreme long range is relatively new, and when I say relatively new, I, I would be surprised if 10 years ago there were extreme long range shooters because we didn't realize that the equipment actually would work that far. It's just like I hear all the time, brand new record made. Well, what was the record? What was the size of the target? How far was it? How many shots were on target? You know, if it was one out of 30 shots, is that really, does that qualify for a record for that distance? Well, those are the same questions that we've been asking, and we're trying to set up a curriculum for a match in order to be able to say, yes, this new record qualifies because they're shooting under the same circumstances. Of course, you know, there are going to be some variables that you just can't account for. But the fact is, is that if you're shooting at a certain amount of targets within a certain range at, uh, you know, a certain um, size target, and, and then we'll establish something, and then at least people know what that record really means. Now, the I think the very first long-range record that was ever set was Carlos Hathcock back in, in Vietnam when he shot uh, the his um, opponent from, I think it was what, you know, how what, what distance was that record shot? Well, the claim was 2,500 yards, and it was with a 50 caliber mod deuce on a tripod that had... A actually a jury rigged mount for the scope that was put on it, and it's kind of unusual because that was a gamed shot too. Now understand that I worked for Carlos, so uh, I, I love the man. And I think he was probably the best natural shooter that I ever met. But he had zeroed the scope in on the rock and the gun that the man stood up on the next day. 
So he was on a predetermined target from the day before. And, and yes, it is an impressive shot no matter who it was, no matter when. And, and it was fired from a most unconventional weapon. Well, I think that that particular shot was probably 75% luck and 25% skill. Because anybody who's ever fired a Madus knows that they had absolutely no um, priority in accuracy when they designed that gun. As a matter of fact, the inaccuracy was something that they felt worked in their, their favor because they wanted to spray bullets around. And not only Correct. that, it was I mean, an the area f- weapon as opposed to a precision weapon. Plus the fact that it had a butterfly trigger on it that was the worst trigger on any firearm I've ever fired. But that wasn't what it was meant for. It was meant to sling heavyweight lead in massive volumes in areas. So that was but it definitely just shows seven- the talent uh, of an incredible marksman to be able to take a firearm um, of that quality and make an extreme long-range hit. Hey, Bob, I hate to tell you this. we got about 30 seconds left. You know, it always sneaks up on us, especially when we're having a great time with a great guest. Um, I definitely want to have you back on after the King of Two Mile to give you a chance to tell us about your experience, what you learned, and and how that ELR experience was for you. Will you do that for me? Absolutely, sir. I'm happy to. I'll always come in and drag my tail between my legs. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for being a guest. Uh, Once again, we come to the end of another great show. I'd like to thank our listeners for spending their very valuable time with us. Remember, we'll be here next Friday on Voice America Sports Channel for another exciting episode of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Get out and enjoy this great weekend uh, coming up. I know here in Phoenix, uh, the weather is moderate. Uh, We'll probably be in the 80s, unlike this time last year, we were in the 100s. So I'm going to spend some time outside shooting. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.